Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. During the summer months, the observance of the ninth day of Av, the ninth day of the Hebrew month Av, uh, enables the Jewish people to reflect on their past. The ninth day of Av is a day to remember the great tragedies that have befallen the Jewish people. But not all the tragedies of the Jewish people are associated with the ninth day of Av. However, summer is a time for careful reflection on historical events. And this morning, I want to speak to you about one of the major events in Jewish history, the impact of the First Crusades on the Jewish people of Ashkenaz. As many of you know, the Crusades were a series of holy wars fought between the Christian world known as Christendom and the Muslim world over the Holy Land beginning in 1095 with the First Crusade. They were especially focused on control of Jerusalem, the Christians having lost the city to the Muslims in the 7th century. Once the Muslims gained supremacy over the once dominant Byzantine Empire, The Christian world went on the defensive to secure their lands against the invaders. The First Crusade was a particularly dark period for the Jews of the Ashkenazi world. The Jewish community within the Holy Roman Empire, specifically those in the German principalities, were specifically targeted following the galvanizing speech of Pope Urban II. Although the Jews constituted a small minority within German lands in France, they were a conspicuous one that evoked strong emotions within the non-Jewish community united to fight the non-Jewish world. Before we move into the specifics of the First Crusade and the Pope's very galvanizing speech against the Jews, Let me share with you some historical background that puts it all in a context. While the Jewish community of the Ashkenazic world flourished in Jewish scholarship, they also thrived in ways, other ways, in relatively safe environment of the German lands. In general, the church being tolerant of the Jews maintained that they could not be assaulted for being Jewish. The church even went so far as to say that the Jews could not be forcibly converted. At the same time, though, the church did not stop teaching supersessionism, the belief that the church was now the new Israel. In the eyes of the church, the Jews were blind to the true faith. It was believed that the Jews needed to be brought to the light of the true doctrine and that God had rejected the covenant with old Israel and was now fulfilling prophecies for the new Israel, the church. This led to the endorsement of proselytizing Jews in an effort to bring Jews into the fold of Christendom. Further accusations of deicide, the Jews being the killers of God, left Christians distrustful of their neighboring Jews. These disparate and paradoxical views were a contributing factor to the Crusades and to the numerous negative reactions of the Christians to their Jewish neighbors. Aside from theological issues dividing Christians from Jews, 
There were also political and economic matters that set the stage for the violent massacres of 1096. The Jews were typically merchants, a middle-class occupation that directly challenged the Christian burger class. The burghers were the middle class of Christian community. The Jews, while being outside the Christian caste system, maintained economic positions similar to those of the burger community and engaged in trade and commerce that often competed with their Christian neighbors. In addition, the Jews occupied a political role that was often allied with the lords of the city, a position that also garnered ill will from the middle-class Christians who were directly opposed to the aristocracy. This competition led to intense animosity towards the Jews. Adding fuel to the fire was the fact that the Jews held other financial posts within society as a whole. The church, like the Jews, did not wish to charge usury of their own. At first, in fact, the church outlawed usury by clergy. This was later extended to the lay people. The Jews, at an advantage because of their merchandise, were perfect to fill the role of lenders for profit. This did not build trust between the Jews and their Christian neighbors. Jews were also involved in money changing, a necessary service, but one that left a bitter taste in the mouths of many Christians since the days of the New Testament story. At first, the Jews were looked upon as a boon for the communities of the Rhineland. The Bishop of Speyer argued that bringing Jews into his community would prove it by a thousandfold. Nevertheless, this enthusiasm did not translate into an open society where Jews and Christians mingled regularly. Between traditional Christianity, which generally prohibited fellowship between the two communities, and Jewish law, which did the same, the two communities remained isolated from each other, even when commerce brought them together. The isolation was also geographic. The Jews lived in neighborhoods separate from the general population. In some cities, such as Inspire, the Jews were literally walled off in ghettos. Although some historical documents indicate that the wall was built to protect the Jewish community at night. That's the historical background. Into this background enters the speech of Pope Urban II at the Council of Claremont in 1095. There are many versions of this speech. This is only one. It is the speech that launched the First Crusade. I'm going to read it to you in its entirety in the hope that you understand its impact on the Christian world and also on the Jewish world. Pope Urban II. Most beloved brethren, urge by necessity, I, Urban, by the permission of God, chief bishop and prelate over the entire world, have come into these parts as an ambassador with a divine admonition to you, the servants of God. I hope to find you as faithful and as zealous in the service of God as I supposed you to be. But if there is in you any deformity or crookedness contrary to God's law, 
With divine help, I will do my best to remove it. For God has put you as stewards over his family to minister to it. Happy indeed will you be if he finds you faithful in your stewardship. You are called shepherds. See that you do not act as hirelings. Be true shepherds with your crooks always in your hands. Do not go to sleep, but guard on all sides the flock committed to you. For if through your carelessness or negligence a wolf carries away one of your sheep, you will surely lose the reward laid up for you with God. And after you have bitterly scourged with remorse for your faults, you will be firstly overwhelmed in hell, the abode for death. For according to the gospel, you are the salt of the earth. But if you fall short in your duty, it may be asked, how can it be salted? How great need this need is of salting. It is indeed necessary for you to correct with salt of wisdom this foolish people which is so devoted to the pleasures of the world, lest the Lord, when he may wish to speak to them, find them putrefied by their sins, unsalted and stinking. Do you get the message? I'm going to continue. Although, all sons of God, you have promised more firmly than ever to keep the peace among yourselves and to preserve the rights of the church, there remains still an important work for you to do. Freshly quickened by the divine correction, you must apply the strength of your righteousness to another matter which concerns you as well as it concerns God. For your brethren who live in the East are in urgent need of your help, and you must hasten to give them the aid which has often been promised them. For as most of you have heard, the Turks and Arabs have attacked them and have conquered the territory of Romania, the Greek empire, as far west as the shore of the Mediterranean, and the Hellespont, which is called the Arm of St. George. They have occupied more and more of the lands of those Christians and have overcome them in seven battles. They have killed and captured many and destroyed the church and devastated the emperor. If you permit them to continue thus for a while with impurity, the faithful of God, will, which will be much more widely attacked by them. On this account, I, or rather the Lord, beseech you as Christ's heralds to publish this everywhere and to persuade all peoples of whatever rank, foot soldiers, knights, poor and rich, to carry aid promptly to those Christians and to destroy that vile race from the lands of our friends. I say this to those who are present. It meant also for those who are absent. Moreover, God, Christ commands it, all who die by the way, whether land or sea or in battle against the pagans, shall have immediate remission of sins. This I grant them through the power of God with which I am invested. Oh, what a disgrace if such a despised and base race, which worships demons, should conquer a people which has the faith of the omnipotent God and is made glorious with the name of Christ. With what reproaches will the Lord overwhelm us if we do not aid those with us profess the Christian religion? Let those who have been accustomed unjustly to wage private warfare against the faithful now go against the infidels and end with a victory this war which should have begun long ago. Let those for a long time have been robbers now become knights. Let those who have been fighting against their brothers and relatives now fight in a proper way against the barbarians. 
Let those who have been serving as mission mercenaries for small pay now obtain the eternal reward. Let those who have been wearing themselves out in both body and soul now work for a double honor. Behold, on this side will be the sorrowful and poor, on that the rich, on this side the enemies of God, on that his friends. Let those who go not put off the journey, but rent their lands and collect money for their expenses as soon as winter is over and spring comes, let them eagerly set out on the way. As God, with God as their guide. Well, you've heard this charge from Pope. Pope Urban II in 1095. It is clear what his intention is, that all of Christendom shall rally against those he calls non-believers and pagans. He also suggested that there was a division in the Christian world. The Christian world suffered from internal fracturing. It found itself split between the East and West due to the unique experiences of their respective populations under different political realities. This differences increased the divergent evolution of doctrine and theology. Issues that had been abounding for centuries came to the fore of the Christian world in 1054, which was when it was known as the Great Schism. The Patriarch of Constantinople ordered that all Latin churches be closed in Constantinople. This precipitated Rome's response that the Archpatriarch must recognize it as the legitimate head and mother of all churches. Upon his refusal to accept the demands of Rome, the the Patriarch of Constantinople was excommunicated. He responded with his own decree of excommunications, and these were the first signs of a rift that gave rise to the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Eastern Orthodox Churches of the East. Although this schism was extremely profound and altered the Christian world, ties between the two were somehow Um, maintained. Now, this text that I read to you is one of five versions, each by a different participant in the council. The one that I read to you was written and provided by a priest who participated in the First Crusade. The other versions are different but relatively the same. So, two communities, separate but maintained them close ties, saw themselves as part of one Christendom. The Pope may have seen an opportunity to further his claim of being chief bishop and prelate over the entire world and set himself up as the leader of all Christendom. Rome was still vying to reunify the Christian church, and with it gained the upper hand in the battle for supremacy of leadership in the church. So, the Pope calls upon everybody to galvanize. In addition to providing the necessary arguments to galvanize Christendom, the Pope also introduced the concept of just war, 
Whereas war between Christians was generally considered unjust and unacceptable in the eyes of the church, war against non-Christians with the express goal of protecting Christendom was not only permissible, but justified in order that it would lead to the remission of sins. The church condoned war against the Muslims, especially during this period, to ward off Muslim invaders from Christian lands, claiming that it was just as it was done in the name of Jesus Christ, and therefore with authorized by him through the Pope. Although just war theory did not force support forced baptism, the propaganda employed by the Pope and the preachers after this speech impacted on the responses of the Christian communities to both Jews and Muslims during the Crusades. One last important concept must be mentioned with regard to his speech, and that is of race. It is typically accepted within Jewish historical studies that the first time race was a factor in the persecution of the Jews was during the Middle Ages, during the Spanish Inquisition where dirty blood was referenced. However, this text by Pope Urban mentions jinns in Latin or race in English several times when speaking of the Muslims. The purpose of the Christians should be to destroy the vile race, this despised and base race. As the term also occurs in other versions, the implication is that the Pope most likely used it, rather than having some scribe improvising. That race, rather than religion, was used in reference to the Muslims, would suggest that Christian society was already formulating group identities not specifically connected to worship and belief, but to birth and blood. Following this extremely poignant speech, the Christian world entered into a state of unified euphoria. Preachers appointed by the Pope went on to spread his message, but they often were carried away by their further. Other self-appointed preachers diverged significantly from the Pope's original comments, but with the same zeal and resolve. Some even suggested that the church was being formed to fight the Muslims in retribution for the desecration of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre almost 100 years earlier. The picture portrayed of the days immediately before the Crusades reveals a population revved up to take back their land. Although the Pope originally envisioned a provision, professional armies of soldiers under the banner of the church, one was never organized. Instead, a series of militias were created and popular forces coalesced. It was in this environment that the massacres of 1096 took place. Let me read to you a document by Eckhart of Oria. This is a recount of the Crusades as described to the Benedict monk, but actually written by monks. Just at their time, there appeared a certain soldier, Amico, count of the lands around the Rhine, 
and long a very ill repute on account of his tyrannical mode of life. Called by divine revelation like another Saul, Paul, as he maintained the practice of religion of this kind, he usurped himself the command of almost 12,000 cross-bearers. As they were led through the cities of the Rhine and the Main and all through the Danube, they utterly destroyed the execrable race of the Jews wherever they found them, being even in this matter zealously devoted to the Christian religion, or forced them to convert into the bosom of the church. When their forces, already increased by a great number of men and women, reached the boundary of Pannonia, they were prevented by well-fortified garrisons from entering that kingdom, which is surrounded by swamps and parts of woods. For a rumor had reached and forewarned the ears of Coloman, a rumor that to the minds of the Teutons, there was no difference between killing pagans and Hungarians. And so for six weeks they besieged the fortress of Whistleburg and suffered many hardships there. Yet during this very time they were in the throes of a most foolish civil quarrel, of which one of them should be the king. Moreover, while engaged in the final assault, although the walls had already been broken through, and citizens fleeing, the army of the besieged were setting fire to their own homes, and yet, though the wonderful providence of Almighty God, the army of the pilgrims, was victorious, and they left behind them. And thus the men of our race, zealous doubtless for God, though not according to the knowledge of God, began to persecute other Christians while yet upon the expedition which Christ had provided for freeing Christians. They were kept from fraternal bloodshed only by divine mercy." This is the reason why some of the more guileless brethren, ignorant of the matter and too hasty in their judgment, were scandalizing, concluded that the whole expedition was vain and foolish. This People's Crusade, a popular movement that was born out of Pope Urban's speech, was the result of the work of many itinerant local preachers that galvanized the Christian people. One of the most dominant and charismatic figures of the time was Peter the Hermit. As the name suggests, he was a recluse who was seen at times to be a savvy leader of the common people. He went around various parts of the Rhineland, inspiring large numbers of individuals and compelling the Jews to provide them with provisions. Although he himself did not partake in the violence, he left behind a seething Christian population His success was in part due to the competition mentioned previously between the burgher population and the Jews, as well as due to the contradictory perception of the Jews held by the church. In light of the above and taking into consideration that much of his preaching was done in and around the time of Easter, when emotions about the Jews and their role in the death of Jesus was raging, it should be no surprise that those unable to go on the official crusade would find Jews a perfect substitute target for the Muslims. After all, the early church fathers had preached that the Jews were of the devil and were demon worshipers, and they had accused the Jews of deicide, the murder of Christ. And so it is that bands of German crusaders believed that they should kill 
that killing a single Jew will save the sins of all of those. Well, once again, we note that in this document race enters into the question. The Latin word gens, which was used by Pope Urban and which means race, is used again numerous times, such as when speaking of destroying the excretable race of the Jews. If we think of this word in both documents, it is possible to understand it as being distinct from religion. The term itself has been used since ancient times to delineate a group of people with a common ancestor. It seems to be conceivable for one to be Jewish through religion or through race and ancestry. According to most Jewish scholarship, it is anachronistic to speaking of race here, but in reading this text to you, one may wonder if the intent was already beginning to develop and construct and support the destruction of the entire Jewish people, regardless of age or gender. The Jews had, in 1095, unbelievably difficult times. The slaughter of Jews led to the taking of um, a ten to two to ten thousand Jews died by suicide rather than face the ravages of the Crusades. Some suggest that nearly fifty thousand Jews died. Here is Solomon Bar Simpson's chronicle. He left this document as an eyewitness account. The precious children of Zion, the children of Mainz, were tasted ten times like our ancestor Abraham. At such report, the ears of those who hear might surely tingle. For who has heard the like? Who has ever witnessed such events? Ask and see, were there ever so many sacrifices like these from the days of Adam? Were there ever a thousand one hundred sacrifices on one day, all of them like the sacrifices of Isaac, the son of Abraham? What has been done this time? Why did the heavens not darken? Why did the stars not withdraw their brightness and light? Why did they not darken in their cloud cover when 100,000 holy souls were killed and slaughtered on one day, on the third day of Sivan? Infants and sucklings who never transgressed and never sinned, poor innocent souls. This is, of course, an individual's response, and there are many others who spoke about the Crusades as a transformative event for the Jewish people and its relationship to the church. Not only had the Jews been convicted and accused of deicide, but now they were being um, told that they were a race that needed to be wiped out, which certainly suggested that even the non-believing Jews were an enemy of the church. The events of the First Crusade, of course, would be uh, an example of what happened when race and religion intermingled 
and another example of what happened to the Jewish people from the 11th century on through the devastating, murderous events of the Second World War. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you a good day and shalom. You can listen to a rebroadcast of this program on the CHRI website, and also you can download a podcast from iTunes. Shalom. 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 Shalom.